welcome to Off Target, your weekly ramblings on popular culture. I'm your host, Mike Amari, uh, and today we're having a bit of a special episode. Uh, I'm actually being joined by J.R. Rawls. Howdy, thanks so much for having me. I'm J.R. Rawls, a writer and a producer of Dark Dungeons the Movie. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who've been following us, you know that we just did a double feature with our um, movie club episodes. And so we did a first we went looked at the classic Mazes of Monsters, uh, Tom Hanks's first leading role. And then we followed it up with the more modern Dark Dungeons uh, as we were kind of taking a look into the cinema and movies that deal with the satanic panic, as it were, that were very big in the 80s and 90s. Um, and I very much uh, thank you for including Dark Dungeons. Uh, Mazes and Monsters, of course, was an inspiration uh, to Dark Dungeons. I did watch it as part of research for the film. And there's even a bit of line or two in Dark Dungeons to reference our predecessor. But our goal was always to go far beyond what Mazes and Monsters did. It was interesting. One of the things we had noticed when we were watching the two side by side, there was the, the very specific reference of the steam tunnels. Uh, which was, you know, the, the big myth back in the day was someone had went and killed themselves in the steam tunnels and mazes of monsters use that, you know, as a jumping off point. And uh, you guys mention it as well in, in part of your movie too. So we definitely saw some DNA there and we were very excited to look at these two side by side. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to jump into is, uh, dark dungeons for those who aren't familiar with it, or if you're not, I'm not sure why you're listening to this. Uh, listen to our previous episode first and come back to this. Uh, but it's based on the work of cartoonist Jack Chick. Um, he's very famous across the internet for having uh, what he calls his Chick Tracts, which were religious tracts that were basically looking at what he felt were the ills of society. And then, you know, kind of underpinning like seven to eight page small cartoons uh, to kind of teach a lesson to younger people within the church. And I guess... One of my first questions is, you know, what led you to want to specifically make an adaptation of Jack Chick's work? Well, uh, I first encountered uh, Jack Chick's work in college. I uh, read um, Dark Dungeons, and I thought it was a very fascinating comic, a comic with a lot of very striking ideas. And at the time... I uh, suggested to my fraternity buddies, hey, let's make this into a film. Let's do a direct adaptation of this comic. But I was in college. I didn't have any resources. I didn't really know anyone. But the idea stuck in my head for uh, 15 years. And it was just always in the back of my mind that, hey, maybe I should do this. Uh, Then one day I won the lottery. Um, not the jackpot. <laughs> I was, was going to say that, that that's yeah. some way to get this started off is you win a jackpot yeah. in the lottery. Um, nope, not the jackpot. Oh, okay. I only quotes won a thousand dollars. Now, don't get me wrong. A thousand dollars is great. I'm not going to turn my nose up of a thousand bucks. I would definitely not sneeze at a thousand dollars. Yeah, but I'm a middle class ma- middle manager guy. A thousand dollars wasn't going to change my life, right? Unless. I made it change my life. I'm a firm believer that life will give you a cubic inch of opportunity. And it's up to you to grab that cubic inch and make it grow to be what you need it to be. And that's what I did with uh, the thousand bucks. I went, you know, I could blow this. I could put it in my bank and forget about it. But I want to do something really special. So I sat down and I thought and I thought. And eventually that old idea from 15 years ago came up and I went, hey, 
why don't I try to film dark dungeons? And so that's actually what I find I wrote, sorry, kind of interesting about this is ahead. that so a thousand dollars is you know not enough to make a movie. Anyone who's tried to make nope. any sort of film would know a thousand dollars is not even going to cover your budget to feed people on set. Uh, and so what I find kind of interesting is that you're able to take that thousand and then you're able to kind of parlay that into a movie that we commented on our last episode looked quite expensive actually for what it was as far as an independent you know film it was a very good looking film like how it was shot and everything like it did Thank not you. look uh, cheap we we made sure every dollar went to ca- uh went on screen uh but the thousand dollars didn't make dark dungeons right. what the thousand dollars did is it allowed me to do a kickstarter which allowed me to raise twenty five thousand dollars for dark dungeons now even twenty five thousand dollars is nothing right. i've looked this up Take your average TV show. Um, you know, you're watching some network show. The catering budget for one hour-long drama on a TV show, which is 40 minutes without commercials, right. which is how long Dark Dungeons is. The catering budget for that is generally larger than $25,000. Wow. And you again, yeah, the and idea that you can make a movie for about that much when normally a production costs... Astronomically high. You're talking, you know, four or five right. times that much. Well, uh, the way we did that is we teamed up with uh, Zombie Orpheus, who are an amazing, fantastic group of people. I cannot praise them uh, well enough. They're uh, makers of the Gamers, uh, Journey Quest, and their new project are Strowlers, all of which are on Amazon. I do encourage your listeners to check them out. They're on Amazon Prime. Uh, they're really, really fantastic, uh, works and a great group of people who I highly, highly think fond of. And I actually did, uh, well, after, you know, doing research for the Darkest Dungeon episode, I did wind up finding the Gamers, uh, series on Amazon. And again, it looked like it was a crew that was able to do quite a lot with smaller budgets. I was very impressed with what they were able to do with what they had. So it was, seemed like a very good fit for what you were going for. It was, it was. And I was familiar with their work, uh, and uh, once the Kickstarter started taking off, I contacted them and said, hey, this is taking off. Is there anything we can do together? And we had an emergency meeting where uh, Ben Dobbins, great guy, uh, CEO of Zombie Orpheus, drove down to Portland. I met him. We talked. We realized we were on the exact same wavelength about what Dark Dungeon should be. Uh, from the very first meeting, we both agreed, you know, this needs to be an faithful adaptation. That's the only way this will work as a picture is if we try to make it as faithful as possible. And he agreed with that vision. That was always my vision for the film. And we ended up having a great partnership, which I look back very fondly on. And that's actually one of the things that we found very striking about the movie itself was that when we're looking at the film itself, everything that's on screen is very much straight from the page. You know, it's one of those things where we didn't see you taking any liberties with the work of Jack Chick or anything like that. It was just very much kind of presented without comment almost um, to be that, put on That was always the intent. That was always the intent. I never wanted this to be J.R. Rawls's Dark Dungeons. I always wanted this to be Jack Chick's Dark Dungeons. I always wanted this to be the Dark Dungeons, the movie film that Jack Chick would make if he had the filmmaking apparatus and all that. I wanted his vision uh, to uh, be what's on screen as much as possible. And when I wrote the screenplay, that was always on my mind. 
I researched his works more than maybe anyone else. I've read every single one of his chick tracks. I read article after article on his website. And you'll see that influence in Dark Dungeons, the movie, because I tried to get as much of his worldview as possible onto the screen. I was going to say, I actually noticed, and I had commented in our previous episode about how some of the interactions between, like, say, the roommates uh, in the college and between at the party when they were talking about, you know, taking drinks and being at parties reminded me of other Jack Chick works and so it looks like you that's you had had some of that stuff in there as well yep very very intentional and uh if part of the unseen world of uh dark dungeons that i told the actors but we couldn't get on screen uh there's a jack chick tro- comic in which a lady who's never named loses her friend uh due to harry potter I told the actress playing uh, Mistress Frost that that was her backstory. And that was why she was so intent on getting Marcy and Debbie to come over to her side. Because she'd already lost one friend. So, and you'll hear various other comments from uh, Jack Chick tracks uh, that make their way. You know, the council is very much based upon uh, some spooky councils that have been seen in other Jack Chick tracks. And yeah, uh, like he had a very, uh, like an overarching idea of like people behind the scenes pulling the strings. And that shows up in mm-hmm. a few of his tracks about how the reason why we love rock music and things like that is because of the people behind the scenes. And that was very much his, his point of view. Yep. Uh, after the film came out, I got a number of requests from people who liked it to adapt uh, another Jack Chick comic called The Death Cookie, which is all about how the Catholic Church is a secret organization intent on destroying Christianity. (laughs) Uh, uh, But uh, I I I never got the rights to any other uh, Chick track. But that was the most requested one. I could definitely see that Uh, one a lot of of places to go with to expand upon Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I did want it to be an adaptation of the worldview, a uh, look at the world through his eyes as much as I could. I researched it as best I could. And I guess that kind of points me in the direction of one of the other things I was wondering. You know, like you said, it's about the length of an hour-long drama on TV without commercials, which when you consider the source material, you know, the chick tracks for anyone who's seen are very small, they're very short, they're very to the point. Being able to get a good solid, you know, 45 to 48 minutes out of something like that seems like it'd be challenging from, from a screenplay perspective. You know, you know, how, how about, how would you go about, how did you go about approaching that specific challenge? Just research it as much as I can. I just, uh, tried to do the best I could with what I was given, you know? So, and the other question I had as well, because I was reading some of the uh, interviews you guys did around the, uh, time the movie came out, which I believe was 2014, was the original release Correct. of it. Uh, I saw that, like you said, it's it's an actual licensed adaptation. You actually yes. got the... Uh, Jack Chick gave me the legal permission to uh, adapt his uh, graphic novel uh, to the screen. And uh, he gave me this for free. Uh, so if any of your listeners are wondering mm-hmm. if any money... Uh, that they do, uh, that they spend, if they purchase Dark Dungeons, goes to 
Jack Chick Enterprises. It does not. Hmm. Uh, no money uh, changed hands, and I got the rights to produce the film uh, for free. That is a question that came up when we were discussing doing the episode because we were talking about, you know, where the source is coming from and whether or not, you know, as far as money going to the Jack Chick, you know, as an entity. Nope, um, not a dime. That was that was a question we were kind of wondering. So it's good to know that. Um, what was that process like, actually, trying to getting the the, the rights from him? <sighs> Super easy. Barely an inconvenience really? at all. Yeah, I uh, I wrote him one letter. Uh, in which I explained, just like I've explained to your listeners right now, I won the lottery. Uh, it had been my dream for a number of years to adapt his comic to the screen. And uh, I said uh, that I thought it was a very striking work with many intriguing ideas. And he just wrote back and said, uh, you have my permission to turn it into a film free and clear. Wow. Um, and that's that's yeah. surprising coming from someone like Chick because, one, he was notoriously very kind of almost hermetic. You know, he was very much of a uh, not an outwardly facing person. Um, no, as, he's as a very – he was a very secretive man. Yeah. He's no longer with us. But, uh, yeah, he uh, didn't give any interviews. Very litigious, actually. Right. People have tried this before, I was gonna say, uh, which was is why thing. I asked for permission. Uh, I saw that people had uh, – they are his copyrighted work. He owns the copyrights right. to them. It is his right. Uh, and when people made adaptations of them, uh, they were violating his copyright. So I did want to do it legally. Uh, so I did ask permission, and I just got it. It's, it's interesting that it, it, all it would have taken was really to – make your case to him you know that people wouldn't have just thought to try to contact the person because he is he does seem very standoffish and like you said very litigious uh he was very much a business-minded man from what i could take from anything i could read about him you know he did sell these to churches it wasn't that he was giving them free and clear he was selling these things he was making large amounts of money off of his rights to his his work i i can't comment on how much money he was making but it was a for-profit business you know this was how he made his living um and you know being a content creator is really really hard as right. i'm sure you understand it's it's not something that's easy to make a living at certainly no and it's definitely we, but, we definitely commented on like his his workmanship is something that i think is really what kind of gets a lot of people even people who maybe don't totally agree with his worldview as it is can still look at his work because he is a very striking artist. Like you said, like there's a lot yeah. there that you see and it kind of grabs your attention. Yeah. It, it is really hard to stop reading a Jack chick track. <laughs> right. I will Absolutely. say that once you go down that rabbit hole, you want to see how far it goes. So when it came time to start actually producing it, so you write the script, you get the, the rights from him. Uh, you do the Kickstarter. I guess that's a good, another good place to go to. Uh, the Kickstarter, from what I remember reading, went fairly quickly. Like you guys reached your goal. In Thirty quickly. days. Yeah, uh, we reached our day goal after uh, ten days, and uh, we reached double our goal at the end of the thirty-day uh, period. Is there anything you attribute that? Because that's a pretty big success, especially twenty fourteen Kickstarter. You know, that's that's prime time for people to start rushing into there. I tailored the Kickstarter video to a very specific audience. I really wanted to make sure that the audience watching the Kickstarter video understood what I was going for, and they did. 
Uh, as far as I can tell, every single backer was happy with the end product. It was exactly what they were expecting uh, from what I said in my Kickstarter video. Uh, we also had the benefit of name recognition. Uh, Dark Dungeons right. is probably the most famous chick track. Uh, so the mere fact that I got the legal rights to turn it into a film uh, created buzz. Uh, but the other big factor was teaming up with uh, Zombie Orpheus. Once I did that... A lot of people who wouldn't support me came over and did start uh, pledging. So it helped fall into place, which that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting to hear that it was, like you said, very tailor made. Because looking mm-hmm. at the special features, uh, I um, I bought the video off of your website with the, all the extra features, so I can kind of watch, get a little behind the scenes look. Um, and then I was looking at you had interviews with like the top backers and. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of what I was seeing, what they were saying is similar to what I'm hearing from you is that it's here it is presented here is a straight adaptation of it. So, yeah, being very on brand, I guess, does help when you're trying to solicit money for a very specific project like this. And uh, it's good to see that something like this was as successful as quickly as it was. Yeah. And we also we premiered at Gen Con. Uh, We got uh, sold out crowds and uh, the audience. I do recommend to your listeners, if at all possible, uh, watch Dark Dungeons in a group setting. I think you get a much better film-going experience the more people you have watching it, especially the more people in tune with its message watching it. Uh, That is is kind of the way it was always meant to be viewed at various uh, get-togethers and parties. Right, I could definitely see this as something when I was doing either my like my undergrad degree when I was in college. This is the type of movie we would have sat around watching on like a Friday night at like two in the morning or something. Like it's definitely in that vein. Exactly in that vein, perfectly. Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard from numerous people uh, at similar things saying that's how they watched it and they they got it. And that's always a great thing to hear. And say the next step we gotta see we gotta try to drum up interest for this. You gotta try to get like a whole Rocky Horror Picture Roadshow thing going on, midnight showings at <laughs> the, campuses and clubs and stuff like that. Uh, that would be fun. I uh, when it first came out, I did uh, show it at various conventions, uh, uh, but that kind of died down as the years passed by. For one thing, mm. um, I, I took a year off of my day job to make this film. Uh, I just couldn't make the film I wanted to while also holding down a full-time job. I'm also married, have young kids, a house, all that things. And to try to do all of that and make this film wasn't possible. So the first year I just quit my day job, which you should never really do, but I did (laughs) uh, to make the film. And uh, I could really devote a lot of time to it, went to conventions, but after that, uh, I got back into my regular workforce, and it, it's a lot harder to do any road trips or anything like that these days. But uh, if anyone does want to show it, uh, we're at their con or their game or their stores or whatever. Uh, you know, we're we're very flexible about that. So just uh, send me an email at j r r a l l s at gmail.com, jrrawls at gmail.com, and we'll work something out. 
And I'll make sure I put all the, that contact information, if you'd like, in the show notes with that information as well. Uh, so, Please do, So yeah. people can contact if they're interested in having, you know, this be part of something that they're presenting or film festival or something. That's, I think, a great idea because I do think that this is something – it's funny. I also came across Jack Chick stuff around college, and it was very much – I had I, – I told this story on the previous podcast – I knew someone who literally owned a shirt saying, I don't want to be... Whatever Elf Star, I want to be dead. Well, no, he flipped it. He put his own name. I don't want to be whoever. I want to be Elf Star. Yeah. And so it was nice. just, I, I remember just a lot of us were kind of in tune with that stuff. And it's definitely the sort of thing I can see, like, especially today, people be, you know being on point with. So after the Kickstarter, you, you start making the movie. As you said, you had to take a year off to, to work with it because I was also wondering... Mm-hmm. The challenges of making something, you know, of this scope, again, it's a, you know, 40 something minute movie, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of cast to deal with. There's a lot of different moving parts. What did you find was probably uh, the the most challenging thing for you when you first started the production? Well, the actual filming was the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. Uh, You know, I was doing 16 to 18 hour days every day Mm -hmm. uh, for the nine days of filming. And. I've never had a work experience in my life that was that hard, but I've also never had a work experience in my life that was that rewarding. Every day I was excited to get up. I was super jazzed. But I had never drinking coffee in my life before <laughs> I started this filming. I, I didn't like the taste. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. I've always been more of a tea guy myself. By day two, I was just so exhausted that I was like... Uh, give me this caffeine and i started drinking coffee and it actually got me hooked i i drank coffee for the next three years or so regularly just because i drank it uh so much on that movie set uh even though i'd literally never drank in it before uh that experience See, there you go there's your moral outrage tale you know film production leads to caffeine addiction that, that's, that's <laughs> it did though to it totally that. did yeah <laughs> Um, so I, I can only imagine 16, 17 hour days. That's, that sounds nuts, especially I myself and also married day job, two kids, even taking out the day job, the married with two kids. I can imagine what that must've yeah. been like having to be on sets. Well, I, I, w- I was filming in a different mm. state. I lived in Oregon. Filming was done in, um, uh, Washington, Seattle area. And, uh, my wife was very, very understanding about those nine days. Mm-hmm. You know, it was what it was, yeah. but, uh, by the end of day nine, it was very much, when are you getting home? You know, uh, so, yeah. Your children have forgotten what you look like. I'm going to murder you if you don't get home. So, yeah, no, I've, I've, I understand yeah. the, uh, the way it goes. And it is nice to hear that, you know, when you're making something creative, having a partner that supports it is super important. And she did. I mean, for one thing, she agreed that I could take a year off of work, which was a huge thing. I like, that is I'll very understanding. Always very very understanding but you know it was a lifelong dream i i first took a screenwriting class when i was 12 you know uh so i always always loved film i always wanted to make movies and uh getting the chance to do that is something that i'll always cherish i'm I'm working on a couple of other screenplays right now full-length ones uh one i can't talk about but it's Mm -hmm. got a projected budget of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, no, which was you know quite a step real, up. <laughs> yeah, quite a step up. Um, it's not a done deal yet, and I can't mention any names. Eh, no uh, but I'm uh, 
love it, love it if I could uh, do more in the area of films. But the mere fact that I got to do one is more than, I would say, you know, out of every hundred people who go, you know, I'd really like to make a movie. One, maybe one gets to actually make one. And the fact that I was able to do that is something I'll always, always cherish. Right, you're going to be able to say no matter what, hey, look at this thing I was able to make. Not only did you write the screenplay for it, you you were the producer on it. Like, this is kind of your vision top to bottom, which that's has to be an amazing feeling. It is, but I also want to stress that filmmaking right. is a collaborative effort. Uh, Gabe Gonda was the director. I do not have the skills to direct, uh, so you're seeing a lot of his vision on there as well. You know, he chose every shot. He helped so much. Uh, One thing he did, which I'll always be thankful for, if you look at the font of Marcy's suicide note, (laughs) he was the one who managed to match, make sure it exactly matched the font uh, that was in the Jack Chick, (laughs) that Dark Dungeons Jack Chick comet. And uh, yeah, so a lot of it is his vision. A lot of it is Ben Dobbins. A lot of it is Ben Rapson, another producer. Um, so it's very, very much a collaborative effort. And one thing I want to stress to all the your your listeners out there who may be writers who want to write for film or play is that your actors are going to take a line and read it in a way that you never thought it was going to be read, and they're gonna and that reading is going to be better than your imagination. So film is very, very much a collaborative effort. This was my baby, but everyone involved gave it their all, and every actor brought the characters to life in great, great ways. As I say, that was actually uh, the little details like the suicide note. Trust me, that did not go unnoticed. Uh, we had like a five-minute <laughs> discussion about what that suicide note looked like. Um, and so it, this movie actually has a lot of that going for it in the frame. Like there's a lot to look at and there's a lot of little details that you kind of catch on viewings. Like I watched it twice for the episode that we recorded. And he, the, nice. on the second time, I was like, okay, I'm noticing other things here. Just like what, uh, you know, how they're setting up the party and like, you know, the type of uh, board they're using for D and D. Like it was just a lot of little details that were very, like you, like you said, Jack chick stuff is striking. There's a lot in this movie that was very striking. I I think none more. Thank you very much. We, we tried that. I think none more than the performance, like you're saying with your actors. My, my next question actually is, where did you find your actors? I know the production company is coming from, you said Zombie Orpheus. Were those also actor, the actors who were working with them as well? Uh, no. Most of the actors are not uh, Zombie Orpheus regular actors, or at least they weren't as of 2014. Uh, most of them actually came from the theater in the Seattle area. Mm. We had... Uh, open castings. We got a lot of fantastic people trying out for it. And, uh, we just, uh, choose, chose the best ones we could. Um, a couple of the uh, people you see are Zombie Orpheus regulars from the gamers, mainly the, uh, shadowy figures. Yeah, the, the council. Those, I remember when I was doing yeah, the research, the council. Yeah. Those were all basically cameos from the regular Zombie Orpheus features, but uh, most of the other people were uh, actors from the uh, Seattle community. Because I think one of my biggest things when I saw the movie, I'm like, where did they find Nitro? Like, where did they find him, man? Because how uh, he's not in more things, I don't know. 
that man has a presence on screen. <laughs> he did. He's a great guy too. Um, after the scene where he bursts through a door <laughs> with smoke billowing out, brandishing an axe and speaking a demonic voice while wearing a barbarian outfit, he said, that's it. I've topped. Nothing's <laughs> Nothing in my acting career is going to top this moment of busting through a smoking door in a barbarian outfit with an axe. As I say, because the, the, the movie does have a lot of those big moments for, for the actors to really kind of flex a bit. Uh, Mistress Frost, you know, is another one who every scene oh, she's, she's in. Oh, she's fantastic. She's just chewing up scenery and grabbing attention, you know, just front and center. with how. And yeah. the fact that you're saying they're theater people kind of makes sense because, again, very dramatic, you know, performances and line reads. There, there was a bit of... Uh Acting to the rafters is a theater expression where you're acting to make sure that the people far up in the rows can see that you're acting. Right. And, B- bigger uh, acting as opposed to like smaller fine tuned acting. Let's, you know, I need to make sure that correct. you understand my motivation, even though you can barely see me sort of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, but they were all great. I wouldn't change a single performance. They all did a, a very fantastic job and were a pleasure to work with. I'd love to work with any of them again. And then it's... <laughs> so as we were going through it, we were also trying to comment on... Well, we did comment on looking at kind of where the the budget was going for the movie. Like, okay, this is clearly an independent movie. And we see that a lot of attention was paid to... You know, the costuming was very good with it. You had a lot of set dressing. But then the sets themselves, were you shooting on location somewhere? Were those on, like, built sets and sound stages? Because there's really only, oh, like, Lord, three no. or four we don't places. Have the, we do not have the budget to build any set. Uh, mostly we filmed uh, at a uh, fraternity that allowed us to use their uh, facilities. Oh, so that was a legit uh, the party house. scenes. Yeah, and that was our favorite place to film because they had a built-in kitchen, uh, which I will tell your listeners, if you ever uh, are in charge of a film, your film crew crawls on its stomach. If you (laughs) feed them well, they will go above and beyond the call of duty, but you have to feed them well, and having a kitchen uh, just made everything easier. I was going to say that that must've been much, much easier than trying to get catering in there or trying to like mm -hmm. order crap to get there on time. And then, yeah, I can imagine that made things a lot easier. It did. But, uh, the big on location shoot was at a abandoned steamworks plant. And that's where the steam tunnel scene was filmed. Uh, this was a fantastic location, but it was Freezing! Oh my lord, we were filming this uh, December 23rd or Ooh. something ridiculous like this, and we were actually in danger of being snowed out. And you're like, in what, the, the whole Pacific day. Northwest, you were saying, right? Uh, uh, yeah, Seattle. <laughs> uh, so I was checking my phone every like five minutes because we were in danger of having to lose a day of production, uh, which would be a catastrophe on a film of this type of budget. Uh, but we managed to be able to film it uh, at the steam plant, and we got so many great shots. We had this great atmosphere. It was an amazing experience, but everyone was just, like, super cold the entire t- time. We had to bring in these heaters to, like, heat up the actors uh, for five minutes before they gave their lines. Um uh, and the rest of us just kind of like sucked it up. But um, <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing experience. And the other location was the book burning scene, 
uh, where uh, a uh, fan of Zombie Orpheus uh, let us use his for- farm, and we got a bunch of uh, uh, pallets, mm-hmm. you know, old yeah. pallets to burn, uh, as well as donated copies of RPG manuals that had errors in them. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, you yeah. weren't actually destroying any. That's actually a nice little touch, too. You're not actually destroying anything that was of inherent value. You had, we like, did burn a couple copies of Harry Potter, but I'm pretty sure people will there. still be able to yeah. find <laughs> Harry Potter out there if they look really, really hard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, freezing and like everyone was like going dangerously close to the bonfire just to keep warm. Mm, I was gonna, um, I was going to say that's safety on set. I can imagine you have a giant roaring fire. Any people I've known who've ever done any sort of filming has at any time they need to deal with any sort of minuscule amounts of pyrotechnics, it's always just nerve wracking. So I can imagine Mm -hmm. trying to film around a giant bonfire would have just been like heart attack inducing. Yeah, a little bit of that. And uh, yeah, uh, there there are some cut scenes from the making of documentary that we did not include because let's just say they weren't up to OSHA standards. (laughs) Yeah, that's you know that's okay. No one needs to see that. No one needs to know. Uh, you know the yeah the SAG doesn't need to find out you know, the conditions the actors were were in. Although, <laughs> were any of the actors? You said they were mostly theater people. Was was anybody like affiliated working outside of? Because I know a lot of actors will work outside of union jobs uh, because they believe in a performance or something. They'll come and they'll, they'll work outside of SAG. Yeah, this was any? not a union job at all. <clears throat> um, so most of the actors were not SAG. Uh, they they have been in a number of uh, other things since then, and I can't speak, you know, 2014 right. was a wise ago. Maybe they've joined SAG since then. Uh, but, yeah, this was not a SAG production. Yeah, and no, I, was, I was figuring as such. I figured I'd just ask them. <laughs> and then I, I guess the what, – what reaction did you expect once it was released then? I mean, because, you know, once it was released, I remember you got a lot of – coverage from places like Wired, you know, like big, big name yep. publications started paying attention to this. And so first, what did you expect when you were releasing it as far as response? I expected pretty much the response we got. There was a number of mm. controversy about the film. Uh, some people got the film's message. Some people didn't. Mm. That was a hundred percent expected. And, uh, it was kind of, uh, interesting to watch as a filmmaker uh the backers who were the people who gave me the money all enjoyed it and that warmed my heart i didn't get a single message from any of the backers saying you know i don't like this i wish i hadn't backed every message i ever got from any backer was positive and that's what I wanted. I, like, I wanted to give the people what they paid for, and I think I did. I was like, that's great. That's actually a very difficult thing to do a lot of times when you're dealing with a, a large number of people backing what you're doing. You're inevitably going to have someone who's unhappy with the finished product. But hearing that, and especially, again, a lot of them were interviewed you know, on your special features. They all seemed very, very happy with what was happening. Yeah, they, they were all a great bunch. So I guess the next questions um, really come down to if you could adapt anything else. So you, you, this was a lifelong dream. You said this was something you wanted to work toward. Let's put it out there. Uh, there's something, anything uh, the else you could, if, if you wanted to. $750,000 film is another lifelong dream. Oh, nice. It's something that I've been reading for 20 years. 
Hmm. And I'm thrilled that I'm getting the chance uh, to adapt it. I've submitted a final, not a final, I've submitted the rough draft of the first screenplay. Uh, it's under review right now. I, again, I can't mention any names, course, yeah. but I am thrilled beyond words uh, that I'm getting the chance to adapt it. And if it does come to light, uh, I, I think your your reader, your listeners are going to be very excited about it. I'm definitely going to be keeping a close eye on that then because that's really nice to hear that not only you're working on another project, but it's also something that you feel as strongly about. Um, it is, it is, if anything more so, because I've got a emotional attachment to this new adaptation uh, that's stronger. All right. Well, I do want to thank Jared Rolls for joining us again today. Um, it's been a great pleasure to sit down and be able to talk with you about the process of both kind of conceiving this, uh, adapting it, and making it into a movie, and kind of hearing uh, the ups and downs. But mostly ups, it sounds like. It sounds like this was a, a really positive experience making this movie overall. It was. This was one of the best. No, it wasn't one of. It was the best professional experience of my life. It was something that I couldn't be more proud of. It came out exactly how I intended it to. I worked with a fantastic group of people, and I can't wish it was any different. So it's everything I could have ever wished it could be. Uh, if it's something that interests your listeners, I do encourage them to go to www.darkdungeonsthemovie.com. Uh, they can purchase it for $5, DRM-free, do whatever you want with it after that. And the special features are an additional $250 if you want. You don't have to buy those. I will say definitely you... worth the $250. I, I sprung for the extra $250. Absolutely worth it for the extra features. Thank you. I had a blast making those. Uh, part of it was this was my lifelong dream. So in making those special features, I wanted something that I could watch 10 years after the film to kind of relive my experience of making it. And huh. I think it's in very informative to any of your listeners who want to know about ultra low budget filmmaking. I mean, you can listen, uh, which I have to the Lord of the Rings, four different commentary tracks. Oh yes. I and they'll definitely. tell you. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're awesome. And they tell you exactly how to make a $200 million film. Uh, if you want to know how to make a $25,000 film, that's what I wanted to tell you with with the extras in Dark Dungeons. The movie. I think there's literally a special feature labeled "How to Make a Movie with a Thousand Dollars" or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I definitely found those very interesting, very informative. Um, if people want to uh, kind of follow with what you've been doing, uh, is there any social media they can follow you on? Anything you want to plug? I I'm on Twitter, but almost all I do is follow my favorite podcast called uh, Thirty Twenty Ten. Uh, I'm not really a big 2010. I might want to say that's uh, we I reached out to Jared Rolls through the Laser Time podcast community uh, where we're both members of and we're both very big fans of their their group of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, If you want me on Twitter, it's J.R. Rawls. Um, I'm on Facebook as J.R. Rawls. Um, That's that's about it. I don't really uh, have that big of a social media presence, honestly. All right, that's yeah, it's about the same as I have actually. It sounds like you use it a little more than even I do. <laughs> so, yeah, we want to thank everyone who's listening for joining us this week. Uh, again, I want to thank Mr. J.R. Rawls for joining us. Um, and, of course, if you want to hear more about Off Target, you can always follow us. Um, uh, I'm sorry, you can always 
Follow us on Facebook at Off Target. You can always email us at offtargetpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, any uh, concerns, any sort of suggestions, please let us know. And of course, you can find us at offtarget.org for all of our content, all of our episodes, and anything else that we've produced. I want to thank everyone for listening this week, and we'll catch up with you again next week.